There's two differences, in my opinion, where you want to make sure you're overly focused for a industry go-to-market. So one is the who you're targeting. But by definition, the industry and understanding exactly what you mean by that industry is is the, the backbone of, of that go-to-market, right? It's why you have a unique go-to-market strategy. So knowing, for example, within banking, not just banks, but how large are the banks? What division within the banks? Who are the, what exactly is the persona? What are they called within a bank versus what you call them outside of a bank? All of that and really re refining the who, the ICP is incredibly important. And I think that you also need to make sure that ICP has some inherent uniqueness that deserves its own go-to-market strategy. Because um, that leads to my second piece other than ICP is the use case. And by use case, I mean, you know, are they using the product or what, should they be using the product in some sort of nuanced way, maybe certain features they use differently, or there's a different value they derive from your product than your standard use case. Uh, understanding what that is, is the second part that's really, really important for an industry go-to-market. Welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance and hosted by me, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I pull insights from some of the world's most talented product marketers to uncover the secret sauce of successful product marketing. In this episode, I'm joined by Shalin Parekh. Shalin is the founding marketing lead at Champify, as well as the founder of Industry GTM, a community of sellers and marketers focused on driving industry GTM strategies at B2B SaaS companies. At Champify, Shalin and his team are building a solution that automatically notifies you when a previous customer, champion, or user changes jobs, allowing you to build a pipeline of people who already like your offering and who might need it for their new role. During our chat, Shalin and I talked about the approach he leveraged while at Seismic to spin up an industry-specific go-to-market strategy for a new sub-vertical. He shared his approach to identifying when an industry-specific go-to-market strategy is needed and how to make sure it's unique enough from the core GTM by tailoring it to the sub-vertical's ICP and unique use case. His insights are super valuable to any product marketer tasked taking on a GTM for a new industry segment. All right, with that out of the way, let's dive in. Hey, Shalin, how's it going? It's good. How are you, Mark? Good. Super excited to have you here today. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Big fan of the podcast, and I'm looking forward to uh, to sharing some of some of my experiences here. Oh, I appreciate that, and I'm sure the guests are excited to hear from you as well. Well, let's dive right into it then. I think it'd be great if you could walk me through your career so far and what you do at Champify. Absolutely. So I actually started off my career totally outside of marketing. I was a business analyst at a big bank crunching numbers, doing analysis, uh, helping to optimize different things. The bank was uh, Capital One. And after a couple of years of that, I actually moved over into a part of the business where I was evaluating, buying, implementing software products. The reason I did that is because as a user of the data from things like a CRM system, we started to realize we had a huge gap when it came to data about the marketing side of the business. So I, I did that work. I, I worked with vendors. I got to meet and get to know the, the SaaS community. And I, I really liked what they were doing. And I saw that there was a huge opportunity for them to do a better job uh, bringing on and working with customers inside of financial services. And uh, I actually ended up working for, for one of the vendors that I had implemented, Seismic, and uh, was, was part of, of growing their financial services business. And then most of what my, not actually not most of, all of my time at Seismic was helping to build out the financial services vertical. Um, and then since then, I've been at a couple of small startups, uh, which is highly at Champify. And then I also have a side project that I'm working on where I am um, uh, 
creating a little bit of a community and resources around the topic of industry go-to-market strategy. Yeah, that's super exciting. And that's actually the topic that we'll dive into in a lot more detail in a, in a little bit here. But before we do, I wanted to just ask you a question about your experience working in that banking space. You know, I think when a lot of people think of traditional banking, they think, you know, very structured, very process oriented, very regulated as you would expect and as you would hope. So I'm curious from your perspective of interacting with SaaS businesses selling into you, what were some of the, I don't know, struggles, learnings that you kind of developed and pulled away from that experience sitting on the buying side that you're able to perhaps bring into your role at Seismic or other product marketing experiences that you have felt just have given you maybe even a leg up or just learnings that you generated from being on that side of the experience? Oh, it's, it's huge, hugely beneficial. And I think there's there's two ways to think about it. One is how did I apply it to my actual role at Seismic? And there's a bunch of things that come into play when you're selling to a, if you're a SaaS company, a lot of them have been selling to soft to other tech companies, right? Speaking the same lingo. And then they're also in Seismic's case and many other companies' cases selling to financial services. So the lingo is different. The maturity is different, especially when you're looking at sales and marketing and go to market. I don't even think we ever use the term go to market when I was working in banking. And so you see it all the time in tech. So if your messaging as a SaaS company is really focused on tech, you're going to go talk to a bank and you'll fall flat in a lot of ways. So there's going to be a lot of just miscommunication, almost a, almost a language barrier. Then the flip side of it is, you know, me as an employee and what were things that I was doing at Capital One that I, you know, that I adapted or did differently in tech. And I think a lot of it is pace. You know, big companies have to be really careful about everything that they're doing because they have a huge brand or reputation to protect. And when I made the switch to tech, uh, you know, moving fast, being okay with things being 80% done or half done and getting out in the market is a lot different than in financial services. And so that skill set was different. And additionally, the roles and the people you work with are very different. My role at Capital One, maybe you could call that revenue operations at a SaaS company, but a lot of the roles I was used to working with don't exist at small companies. And so you're working with a totally different cohort of people at a tech company versus a giant uh, financial services company. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think, you know, again, not surprising here that there's a huge difference in the way that the companies are structured and the roles that they have, but even just like the cultural differences between the two. Um, and I like that insight of the different language, right? Like every sector, every industry, and you know, I'm sure we'll touch on this in a second here, has their own way of speaking almost, their own dialect. And when you're making that jump from the tech world and SaaS um, to banking or vice versa, there's a bit of almost like that culture shock. So I appreciate you highlighting that because I'm sure that's a feeling that others who have made similar transitions have felt as well. All right, so let's go back and you mentioned this uh, industry go-to-market kind of community and resource that you're developing. I'm curious, could you share with the listeners kind of what encouraged you to start that that offering, what, what spurred you on and kind of where you are with it today? Absolutely. So recently, I or not even recently, I would say over, over some time, I've noticed that other SaaS companies that were in peer group of Seismic or other companies started to, to create roles, hire for, and do some form of industry marketing. And I think a lot of that has escalated this year as they need to diversify rev, need to diversify their customer base because many have sold just to tech companies. And in this climate, tech companies are obviously not doing as well or just operating a little bit differently than some of the bigger companies. And so I started to see that people were thinking about it, talking about it. And when I would talk to those folks that were hiring for those roles or that were in those roles, I noticed that you know, a lot of people were just figuring out how to do it. They weren't quite sure. And I think what we did at Seismic was really special and unique. And I had this playbook from, you know, three and a half years at Seismic. 
And I teamed up with actually a, a, a old colleague at Se- Seismic, Rob Stella, who we, we built a lot of this play together at Seismic. And we just got to talking and we thought, hey, maybe there's a way we can actually do something. It's still, honestly, it's still early stages and we're still figuring out exactly what people want. We've hosted a workshop, we've put out some content. Uh, we've worked, we've worked with a couple of companies on a consulting basis. So we see that there's not, there's an opportunity or a gap or need that needs to be filled. Um, and we're figuring out exactly how to serve it. But so far we've, we've gotten a lot of interest and gotten a lot of engagement from folks that are interested in this topic. Yeah. You know, that's, I don't think overly surprising to hear because as you said, companies like Sizek are already going down that path. So it's not surprising to hear that there is kind of a demand or desire to learn more about it and other companies being in a position where they're almost not necessarily forced in it based on, as you said, the kind of economic climate that we face ourselves or that we find ourselves in. Um, but it, you know, obviously it sounds like you're filling a need that exists out there. Uh, and we'll touch on a moment kind of how you uncovered this need during your time at Seismic. Um, but before I do that, I did want to just pull back a little bit and ask you a little bit more about the way Seismic decided to structure their product marketing team. I think, you know, oftentimes I've even heard product marketing teams being split by area of focus, you know, for example, by go-to-market versus customer research and insights, um, you know, having a specific competitive intelligence, uh, you know, port, uh, team, the product marketing org, um, or even just product portfolio, um, but not necessarily by vertical or industry. So can you elaborate on the thinking behind that approach? Uh, and were there other teams within Seismic aligned to that approach as well? Absolutely. So this is a, a, a very much a multi-year journey. Some of it started, much of it started before I got there even. So just, just to set some context, I joined Seismic when they were a few hundred employees in 2018. And at the time that I joined, there was technically a financial services vertical that existed, but it was a couple of sales folks and a sales leader who were focused, but no formal product marketing engine or no formal marketing engine behind it. And the reason they even had that team is before my time, they'd found an incredible use case in a sub-vertical within financial services, asset management. And they did a great job bringing on customers, making them happy, create identifying a, a use case that was consistent across all of them. And they had started to get validation that outside of just that use case, there were likely other use cases in financial services and they should do the same thing uh, for the rest of financial services. But they needed a team to do the research on those verticals that actually understood them, understand the use cases, figure out who to target, what message, all the classic things about product marketing and to scale that up. And so that's when I came on for the next three and a half years that I was there, we did the same thing for other sub-verticals in financial services, banking, wealth management, insurance, and then deepen the work in asset management. And to answer your question about other teams being verticalized, so at the time I joined, it was primarily just a couple, like a couple of sales folks, a sales team. Uh, that sales team grew to, I think, over 40 in my time there. And then we started aligning other functions, so demand generation, strategic alliances, customer success eventually, and then product uh, even became aligned to financial services over that three and a half years. Oh, wow. So it sounds like product marketing was kind of ground zero almost for that approach, um, which I think is is pretty interesting. And on that note then, was there, or I'm curious, what was the process by which Seismic would define, okay, you know, we've got this new team within product marketing that's focused on financial services. How do they go about deciding which vertical to tackle next? Was it, you know, we've identified some additional, you know, use cases in these different sub-verticals that we could then kind of group together and go after this 
uh, vertical kind of holistically? Um, or was there another approach that was being implemented? We kind of went after all, all of it at once. So when I started, we we worked on all of those subverticals, And I think that was, I still would go back and think that's the right decision to attempt all of it. Uh, it was a lot, but we we had sales folks, we had resources to be able to do it effectively. And then we learned and we learned where our strongest fit was and we were able to focus more over time. But but we definitely went all in at once. Uh, and I think depending on, on your company, I think we were lucky because we had a couple of customers in financial services to speak about, or we had use cases that already existed. So it wasn't like we were going in totally cold to the new, new subverticals. I would caution other companies to not, not to try to bite off more than they can chew, because if, especially you don't have customers, you don't have use cases, you don't have a knowledge of that subvertical or vertical to go after multiple all at once without the right amount of resourcing could be uh, could could lead to just spreading yourself too thin and not doing well in the ones that you that you actually have a really good use case for. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I appreciate sharing that uh, almost like a cautionary tale there. Uh, all right, so I think when you know product marketers hear the word go to market, they start to formulate an idea of of what that looks like, right? I know it's a term that gets thrown around a lot, and depending on who you're speaking to or the company you work at, even how go to market is defined can can change um, and and you know be different in in a variety of ways. But in your mind, how would an industry go-to-market differ from what how others might define a more general go-to-market, let's say? There's two differences, in my opinion, where you want to make sure you're overly focused for a industry go-to-market. So one is the who you're targeting. But by definition, the industry and understanding exactly what you mean by that industry is is the, the backbone of, of that go-to-market, right? It's why you have a unique go-to-market strategy. So knowing for example, within banking, not just banks, but how large are the banks? What division within the banks? Who are the, what exactly is the persona? What are they called within a bank versus what you'd call them outside of a bank? All of that and really refining the who, the ICP is incredibly important. And I think that you also need to make sure that ICP has some inherent uniqueness that deserves its own go-to-market strategy. Because, um, and that leads to my second piece other than ICP is the use case. And by use case, I mean, you know, are they using the product or what, should they be using the product in some sort of nuanced way? Maybe certain features they use differently, or there's a different value they derive from your product than your standard use case. Uh, understanding what that is, is the second part that's really, really important for an industry go-to-market. And what you'll see a lot of companies doing, if you go to many companies' websites, they'll have some sort of industry web pages and you go read them. And sometimes they're just, moving around a couple of words, but really it's the same use case. It's the exact same story. And, you know, I've, I've worked with many people in financial services who go to those web pages and they can see right through it. So understanding what that use case is and making sure that when you are, I'm using the website example, just because it's, it's public, it's right. Anyone can go look at any company's website and see this. Uh, that's where they should be defining what makes how that industry, how that vertical, whatever you want to call it, uses the product what makes that unique or what makes that different and why is it, why is it tailored to that industry? And those are the two things that I believe you should really emphasize and focus on for an industry go-to-market. The other components are the same. You know, you're, a quarter, you're, you're defining the, the ICP, you're coming up with messaging, you're enabling, you're coming up with campaigns. Much of that is, is the same as a go-to-market for uh, non, that's not industry specific. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm curious, when you were at Seismic or even in, in the work you're doing now with industry GTM, 
Where are you looking for signals that would indicate a new ICP or a new use cases being uncovered that would require the need for a new, you know, industry go-to-market strategy or plan? Were those in-product signals by customer behavior or data? Was that top of funnel signals by, you know, having new types of um, ICPs or use cases come in and through the sales team? What did that look like? That's a really good question because I do think a lot of companies do it the other way around, which is the classic ones are healthcare, life sciences, manufacturing, financial services. You'll find some of these industries that companies just say, oh, I'm going to go after manufacturing now. And I don't think that's necessarily the right, I don't know, not necessarily, I don't think that's the right way to do it at all because then you're, you're force fitting your use case, your message, everything, but just changing some of the words, like I mentioned earlier. The signals to look for, a lot of them just come organically. So most most SaaS companies will find if you look at their customer base, right? There are going to be a couple of outliers that aren't in their core ICP. And those are early adopters, right? If you've read Crossing the Chasm or seen some of that, you'll see some of this concept apply where there are going to be people who identify early with that use cases. And I potentially was one of doing that at Capital One, which is what highlighted to me that, hey, the way that I'm looking to use this product when I was a customer is a little bit different than how others are using that. And as a customer, I figure that out by meeting other customers or talking to the folks at Seismic. So the way Seismic should figure that out is by conversations, looking at data about customers, looking at what you mentioned earlier, what, what features of the product are they using? How are they using that differently? So at Seismic, the example was there's a component of content automation or content creation that is that automates you know variables you can put in that spit out into an uh, an output, and the way that financial services use that in each subvertical was a little bit different than how it was used outside. And so if I was seismic, you know, I'd look at that, understand what those were. We did this when I was there, and understand what those use cases are. See if there's something there where you're providing a lot of value, and then call it a specific use case or vertical or industry that you want to go after. And, and how would you recommend someone kind of identify what those those signals being actually valuable signals or, or, or just noise, right? Like I think to your point, you said there are certain outliers in, you know, customers that come in organically or different use cases that pop up, but is there a way or a method that, you know, you and the team at Seismic applied to say, oh, hey, actually this is something that we should explore further or, you know, this is just noise, these are just tire, tire kickers or these this is just people outside of our existing ICP or use case set that... It kind of works for them, but not enough for us to actually go and kind of invest the time to develop this industry go-to-market for. Yeah, I mean, I I wish there was a really creative way that we did it, but it was through just a lot of conversations. So we did a really good job of getting in front of people, whether it was at conferences or a great way to do it, anywhere you can get in front of that, that persona and just talk to them and figure out exactly what you mentioned. Is it something that's interesting or is it something that you're willing to pay for and that provides a lot of value, right? Because there are a lot of tire kickers, a lot of people in industries like financial services always want to be up to date on what's going on in tech, right? So they want to just be evaluating stuff. So you will get a lot of, you know, noise in there. But if you if you can get interviews, have conversations, find a use case that one, you know, you hear from a customer or that you see start to just test with other folks. Is that something that's of interest to them? How would they think about it? How is, is their business different? Is there any reason that they would think about things differently? And once you do some of that, uh, and it's very qualitative, that's the way we did it. I'm sure there is a better way that someone out there has. Uh, you, you can isolate when there's there's really something there that you can double down on. Yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I think that makes a ton of sense. And, and, and when it goes 
from those conversations and kind of testing the market as it were and, and getting a sense of whether or not, again, this is just noise or, or there's an actual potential for us to develop an industry go to market here. Where do you start once you've made the decision that's like, yes, that, this is something? Um, were there any seismic level strategies, like the seismic go to market strategies that helped you inform your own approach or make things move that much more quickly? Or did you kind of have to start from scratch when you were building out, you know, the banking or financial services industry go to market? I think you definitely are in, in this sort of role. You're interestingly part of two worlds. You're part of a little vertical team or a pod or something. I've seen different companies define this differently, right? Um, and you're also part of the core product marketing and marketing engine. And so you draw from all of the great things that are going on at a corporate level, whether it's a new messaging that's being rolled out, and a lot of work that goes into those sorts of things, or new sales process or new product uh, features uh, or launches that are coming down the pike. And you take all of that at a seismic level, company level, and then you take what's going on in your little business, because it ends up being like that in all of these scenarios, the, the couple folks that are working on that industry go to market across sales, marketing, success, every product, every function are kind of their own little team. And you bring those in and you have to pressure test where, where things apply and not. And so the great thing is, as the industry product marketer, you get to kind of pick where you focus based off where the need is, because you can draw, like, a, like, I, like I mentioned, let's say a new narrative is being rolled out. So you generally, depending on how the team is structured, may not have to own that, right? But you get to be the beneficiary of it. And then you take it and you say, okay, we got a lot of new material to work with. You can figure out how to tailor it appropriately for your vertical. And I think you do the same thing with product launches and everything else. And sometimes there's going to be something that's coming coming out or that's, that's happening at company level that is going to be incredibly powerful for your vertical. And you can bring that in. Other times, you have to own something on your own because it's not helpful to the rest of the company. It's only helpful for your vertical. And so you need to own, maybe own totally doing your own messaging for financial services because it's not happening at company level, but you really need it. And so you get to balance and sit between both of those worlds. Looking to propel your product, prove your strategic value and transform your career prospects? Sign up for Product Marketing Certified Core the comprehensive product marketing course designed with current and aspiring product marketers in mind. Boost your confidence and competence as a multifaceted expert by journeying through 11 key modules, 128 exam questions, and more than 20 actionable templates with training on pricing strategies, market research, messaging and positioning, go-to-market, and more. By the end, you'll earn a certification accredited by the Chartered Institute of Marketing and the CPD Certification Service, trusted by thousands of your peers and sought after by brands like HubSpot, Google, TikTok and Adobe. We mean it when we say you're learning from the best of the best. So if you're looking to transition into product marketing or become a strategic growth machine in your current role, take the leap and get certified. Yeah. And on that note of doing things on your own, I'm curious, were there times where if a seismic level work, let's say, as you, you know, suggested earlier, they're rolling out a new narrative or there's some updated positioning message going to market and that new stuff that seismic was doing at the corporate level didn't necessarily directly apply or benefit the work that you were doing within your own kind of vertical or, or industry specific go to market. 
So were there times when that was the case and you actually had to not maybe actively ignore that work, but you weren't able to take advantage of it or you had to even push back on it because it maybe wasn't as congruous to the work that you were doing when your own vertical or did it tend to, to work pretty nicely together? No, it's definitely some, somewhere it goes well, somewhere it doesn't. You're, to, you're, you're spot on. I think I'll give you a really tangible example. So the, the unique thing in financial services for a sales enablement company is that you take financial advisors, wealth management is the sub-vertical. They don't even call those folks sales. It's kind of taboo to call them sales. And so a lot of the messaging we come up with related to, you know, the, the, the sales metrics pipeline, some of these concepts that didn't necessarily always apply to financial services. There were times where maybe we'd roll any messaging that was really sales focused, for example, and use a lot of that lingo we talked about earlier that was very tech, that was how technology companies think about sales and think about go to market. There were times where we would either, you know, not update the financial services messaging, but we had to make sure it was close enough in line. So as a company, we sounded like we were talking with one voice, which is always a little bit of a, it's always a challenge, a constant struggle, and there's no perfect balance between the two. But absolutely, there are certain times where you, I wouldn't say disregard, but you, you have to make a conscious decision every time. You have to look at something or work with people, and then you, you should be transparent about it and say, hey, these are the things that don't work. But I, you know, speaking for financial services, don't want to water down the company's story and make you adjust something if it is going to work really well for the customers or the prospects outside of financial services. Yeah, I find that fascinating. How did you go about getting the corporate level buy-in to be supportive of that decision? Because I would imagine, you know, being a product marketer, maybe on a small team that's cross-functional or just being on your own, being responsible for this sub-vertical and then going up to, you know, corporate marketing or branding and saying, hey, I know that you guys are super excited for this new positioning and messaging or these new features that you're rolling out, but it doesn't work for our sub-vertical and it actually, in fact, might hurt us. So I'm going to not use it. I'm, you know, how did that conversation go? Were they supportive of that? Did you have to, you know, test it with customers to to really prove that it wasn't working before they would be okay with that? I'm curious how that dynamic played out because I would imagine that could be a, a frosty conversation. No, no, generally what? Because I think it's it's with proof. If you because the other thing is you you end up becoming or you you have to make your make yourself the expert in that industry. And so if you're the expert, you're the one who knows it, you can generally come back and say, look, I, these are the reasons we know it. We've done a ton of research. This is, this is what we need to do differently. And people will, you know, at the executive level, if it's going to make, if it's going to better lead to success of your vertical, then there, there shouldn't be an issue with it. The only reason would be if, if something's going to look really inconsistent at a company level. So use the website example. If, I was proposing that we have a separate website or something like that, then that would be pretty extreme. Um, but then you can do things like, you know, we would make sure that in all of our, anywhere we're directing people to the website, we direct them to the financial services pages so that that was a good balance between the two. So we're getting people to a place where they can see the tailored message, but we're not doing something extreme where it seems like we're totally going rogue. But I think the key is, is being the expert. You have to make sure you're always on top of what's going on in the industry and you have to be demonstrating success, right? If you if, if we weren't being successful in financial services and we were rejecting things, then I think that would be a different story. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. It's it's helpful if you can have that success to lean into to say, hey, you know, what we're doing is working. So when I say we don't think this is the right call, you should probably trust what we're saying. And yeah, I could see that making that conversation that much easier. So uh, thanks for sharing that. On on the flip side of having to push back against you know the corporate level, 
Uh, I'm curious, were there times when, you know, you know, you even talked about uh, at Seismic, there were other vertical or industry specific uh, product marketers or go-to-market teams that kind of grew out of the work that you were doing. So were there times where the learnings and processes that you had developed were able to be shared with those other teams? Uh, and, and what were some of those shared elements, if there were any? No, so actually, we were the only verticalized, industry verticalized team that existed. They We had a couple of experiments in outside of financial, what we'll call the core business outside of financial services. We had a few examples of this style of focus based off size of company. So mid-market, for example. But um, but no, honestly, we didn't do a whole lot in terms of taking what we did in financial services and go beyond that. What we did do, though, was go by sub-vertical by sub-vertical, but all, we kept it all within financial services. So we built out more. We built out go-to-marketplace within the different components of financial services. Got it. Got it. And, and so when you were going from sub-vertical to sub-vertical, what elements were you able to share between those sub-verticals that made the process easier to replicate and kind of spin up at, at speed and at scale? We took the same, I would say the same framework was starting with two things I mentioned earlier, the ICP, exactly what part of this sub-vertical are we even targeting? And I mean, you know, for those out there that don't know financial services super well, I'd be shocked even in wealth management, the difference between some of the really big wirehouses and how they operate and their dynamic versus an RIA, same thing in banking. So understanding exactly who that ICP is, uh, understanding what they're doing with the product, what they should be doing and what value they're deriving from the product that's unique. And then building, and then we took those two things, right? And so we had, that was kind of the strategic kind of research element and then took that and we had, a, you know, we took all of our learnings on how to actually run the play. How do you build a message? How do you enable the team? How do you deploy that? And we we were able to, copy ideas from our initial successes around, you know, especially how to how to get awareness with new audiences. I think that's what's always the most challenging. So we, we really emphasize partnerships and really emphasize events and trade shows as two big areas where we were able to get in front of the audiences and, and have enough repetitions with them so that we were learning as we went versus, you know, deploying something that was advertising or just content, for example, without a way to really have that feedback loop with the your target audience in that sub-vertical. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. You, you know, you mentioned something in your talk track just now around internal enablement that I want to dig into a little bit deeper here. You know, I think you mentioned that while you were the only kind of verticalized um, team within, you know, the org, there was, I'm sure, a level of, you know, the broader sales team, or the sorry, the entire sales team is obviously getting enabled material to speak to Seismic at the, you know, all of the, for all the different um, customers that they're going after um, that aren't specific to your sub-vertical. So it's almost like you've got these two categories of uh, enablement. You've got you know, the Seismic broad, and then you've got the very specific, you know, financial services vertical. So from an internal enablement perspective, how did you equip your customer-facing teams with the tools, resources, and collateral to you know effectively execute the go-to-market strategy you had created for your specific sub-vertical? Um, you know, were there any challenges that came along with them having to leverage almost two different sets of material? Um, and and if there were, how did you navigate those challenges? 
That's a really good question. I think there's there's two things to think about here. One is that we were directly aligned to a financial services sales team, which made things a lot easier. So when working with or when we were deciding, especially on enablement, where you have sales skill enablement, process enablement, all sorts of things that don't need to be industry specific, right? And those should still be happening. And so we had a a great enablement team, obviously Sizic being an enablement company that was focused on a lot of those things. And so what what we did is we just built a strong partnership where I would still manage a lot of financial services specific enablement. And then we would tie that in uh, calendar wise or tie it in, tie it into the overall roadmap for how broad enablement was happening so that we were making sure that everything was consistent. It wasn't too much. And, um, you know, it, it all made sense. It was all, it was all happening the right way. We weren't overloading folks. So I think from, you know, tactically timing and uh, amount of enablement, that's how we did it. And we were able to do that because we were directly aligned with the sales team. So we could kind of represent um, a sense of what the content or industry specific enablement was going to look like. The other thing that we had was, you know, we were using Seismic at Seismic. And so when you think of actually getting into your training platform or your platform to access content, I was able to own the design or layout of how that looks. So when they log in to go get their content or get their enablement for the financial services sales team, we I, I could partner with our enablement team to make sure it was the right balance and it was still kind of industry first. And did that sales team get spun at the same time you were developing this industry go-to-market or was that something that came after once you had proven that you, know, that you were finding some success there? Actually, at Seismic, it was a little bit earlier. So there were a couple of folks that were on the team before I joined. And then when I joined it, it's it scaled it scaled up. Um, and that was you know just by coincidence and focus at a company level in financial services. We were we were adding more resources that were that were focused on financial services. But most companies, actually, I've seen it both ways. I've seen the sales team get stood up first because you can you get a lot of quick information because you have people that are just out there testing stuff constantly. And I think that's really important to have the sales team there. The other approach is having marketing first. And I think that is good at a high level to get test a bunch of, you can test messaging, you can test uh, web pages, content, you get a lot more, more true data and less qualitative information. And I've seen both work well. Uh, I think it kind of, it just depends company to company where, where you start. Yeah. And I would imagine a lot of that is being informed by where, if customers are coming to you or if you're having to go to them, if they're coming to you, then yeah, I would imagine it makes sense to have a sales team set up in place so that they can triage those customers and they can kind of work those deals. And then once you've found success there, you can make the argument for bringing in a PMM such as yourself to to develop this industry specific go-to-market to then scale it up so that you can then go and proactively acquire customers that are in that same vertical. But at the same on the flip side, if you as a company decide Hey, you know, we've identified this n- new industry or subvertical as an area of opportunity. And we want to go capture it before our competitors do, or before you know we've got critical mass of customers coming in. Maybe it would make sense to have the PMM function set that up first and go up and partner with the other marketing teams to kind of set out that outbound movement. And then once you've got enough traffic, you can start pulling in some of some subject matter expert sales members and spin up a sales team afterwards. So I think you're right. I think it does depend on the company, but I think it also depends on where customers are in, in that process and where. Um, you're finding success. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great way to think about it, which is 
are the customers coming to you first and do you just need, you immediately need people who are able to have the conversations you spend at the sales team? Or is it this huge company initiative where you've identified a really good reason and you just want to invest a ton? I think that's key because if you're a product marketing person, you don't have a, you don't have a sales team, you don't have all the resources. It's very, it's not a ton, right? They could do a lot of research and they can start to deploy, I don't know, ads or make web pages or things like that. But without that feedback loop, it's, it's hard to, to function in isolation if you are, um, you know, again, depending on, depending on what you, what your current set of customers, your current um, foothold is in that industry. Yeah, you're right. And it might not necessarily be a matter of, you know, the PMM does all that work first and then they get some deals, they as in the org, and then, you know, sales team wakes up to this and says, oh, hey, we should actually get some people on this. It might be a matter of, hey, we're going to bring in a PMM to, you know, focus on this new sub-vertical or <clears throat> this new industry. And maybe we'll allocate, you know, one or two sales members or sales team members to support this PMM and, and you know, go after those customers 25% of their time, 50% of their time. And that way they're still able to, you know, hit their quota and have success in their existing customer base. So you might kind of get like half sales resources or, or parts of sales resources to, to make the case and show that you're finding success before you can, you know, make the argument for having dedicated sales resources. So that might be another approach that you'd want to explore. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Shalin, this has been honestly great. You know, I, I feel like, as you kind of alluded to at the very beginning of our conversation, there is a very growing focus and demand for guidance on how to set up these new, you know, industry-specific go-to-market or vertical-specific go-to-market motions, because com companies are having to find success in, in, in new ways, uh, just due to, like we said, the economic climate that we find ourselves in currently. So I appreciate you sharing your insights and kind of where your uh, successes have come from um, at Seismic and kind of the work that you're doing with industry go-to-market uh, community and course that you're working on. Uh, but before I let you go, I want to ask you, you know, a question I've been asking all my guests recently, and that's what's an area of focus within the realm of product marketing or close to it that you think product marketers will have to pay extra attention to this year, more so than in previous years? I think it's a really good question. Uh, I thought about it a lot uh, when you you shared it because it you know I wanted to make sure that it's it's something that that I truly think is changing and not just some you know classic do more with less kind of uh, trope that that a lot of people are talking about. I think a couple of years ago, if I think back to when I first started in product marketing, and we kind of alluded to it earlier when I talked about when you asked which sub vertical did I choose first, how do we go about that? And I said we kind of went after everything at once, and part of that was. I think the right decision, part of it was a consequence of the times and the ability and resources to do that. Today, I would probably do something different. And I would say, focus much more on getting the ICP right, knowing exactly who you're going after, whether you're doing industry product marketing or traditional product marketing. This is something when I'm working with Champify, we're thinking about too, which is let's make sure we're really focused. We know that the people we're targeting are absolutely the best fit. And we're going to focus on a, a small part of the world or the, the total addressable market and do it really well versus having a grand story that appeals to everybody that sounds like it's going to, you know, cure world hunger, which is a lot of what you used to get in terms of messaging coming out of product marketing. And it wasn't super, super tailored to the ICP that is the highest fit for your company. And I think that is a big thing that that's changing now and that I, I hope to see more focus on. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And that's actually something my previous guest, uh, Robert um, Kaminsky, actually mentioned something very similar. Uh, and, uh, you know, he kind of alluded that it might have just been due to the kind of crazy valuations and, and kind of VC funding that was happening at the time and, and kind of 
companies almost being pressured into casting as broad in it as possible to reach, you know, very optimistic and lofty growth targets. But I think you're right. Like now we're in kind of an, an era where you find much more success by being super targeted, being very specific, starting in those very focused areas first, before then moving out into other industries or other verticals and growing. I think you're spot on. So thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, Colin, like I said, this has been fantastic. Before I let you go, though, I uh, want to give you the opportunity to let our listeners know where they can reach out to you. If they have questions, maybe they're, you know, standing up their own industry go-to-market motion, or maybe they want to learn more about the work you're doing with industry go-to-market and how they can, you know, get involved. Absolutely. I always love talking about this. So if, if you want to find me, I am on LinkedIn under my name, Shalin Parekh, and uh, my Twitter handle is the same unique name. So you'll probably find me, Shalin. And also, if you're interested in the work we're doing with industry go-to-market, we'd love feedback on it. It's still pretty new. We just started it this year, but it's just at industrygtm.com. And like I mentioned, uh, my business partner, Rob, and I are really focused on creating the type of content that people want. And so please let us know what you'd like to see, and we'll we'll work on it. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I'm sure you'll have some listeners reach out and give you some some feedback and maybe even, again, show some interest in participating in the work that you're doing. So Thank you so much again, Charlotte, for your time. I really appreciate you, you know, sharing your insights and I look forward to seeing the work you and your partner come up with in the, uh, you know, in the future. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. This has been great. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to spot to an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.